Welcome back, everyone. This is Robert Fleming. I'm one of the partners at the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, and you're listening to Elder Law Issues, which is our podcast on a more or less weekly basis. Also with me is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, one of the other partners at the firm. Elizabeth, we are going to talk about the ever popular AB trust question. First of all, um, that's a common phrase in, in our business. People often come in and say they have an AB trust or they have a trust and there's something about A's and B's and Q's and X's and uh, what is an AB trust? What are we talking about when we hear that? Well, Robert, what we think of when we talk about an AB trust is a trust that might be created by a married couple during their lifetime, a, a trust that was initially created as a joint trust with the idea that when one spouse dies, the estate splits in two, an A portion and a B portion. The B portion is often known as the bypass portion, the portion of the estate that would be distributed into a separate trust that would become irrevocable on the death of the first spouse. So the B trust is really isolated from the A trust. And the idea with the A trust is that the surviving spouse can continue to manage, control, and determine where assets in the A trust go at his or her death. However, the B trust, there may be some restrictions on that, Robert. Might be that the surviving spouse can benefit from money in the B trust, but that the surviving spouse may not be able to change the designated beneficiaries of the B trust. We see this happen sometimes, Robert, when there might be a blended family where a married couple might have children from different relationships and they want some assurance that after the first spouse dies that there will be certain beneficiaries that will inherit money eventually. They're worried about the surviving spouse running off with the pool boy or you know, the neighbor next door. Of course, the tax law has changed quite a bit in the last 20, 25 years. And it used to be that uh, the taxable estates for federal tax purposes started at about $600,000, climbing up a little bit right at the turn of the last century. But um, uh, a lot of people had $600,000 estates. Now that limit is 12 plus million dollars, and not as many people have 12 or $13 million estates. So that's kind of a, a, a legacy source for AB trusts. Not all of the AB trusts, as you said, Elizabeth, some of them are modern for reasons of family dynamics, but a lot of them are those old legacy ones that nobody got around to updating. And Robert, when we talk about those, what we're referencing is the idea that the money in the B trust, the assets in the B trust, would be outside of the surviving spouse's estate, usually for tax planning purposes. And we're oversimplifying, of course, because what we really want to talk about today is not what is an AB trust or do you need an AB trust. The real question that we have come up again and again and again, and I want your insight in it, into it, Elizabeth, is what do you do when a trust was supposed to divide into A and B shares when the first spouse died? The first spouse died 10, 15, 20 years ago. Nobody ever did anything. It's still, all, all the assets are still titled to the Fleming Family Revocable Trust, whatever the trust's name was. And now one of the spouses is long deceased. The surviving spouse just died or just went into the nursing home or just started uh, making changes to the trust. What, what are the what are the kinds of problems that we see in those old trusts? Well, Robert, I think in your fact pattern, the very first thing that I'm thinking about is the fact that you mentioned that the first spouse died 20 years ago. 
what what I don't like in that fact pattern is the 20 year period of time actually what I would have hoped that your fact pattern would have been was hey Elizabeth the first spouse died about 90 days ago and the surviving spouse <laughs> needs some some legal advice about what to do with the trust Given, wait, wait, are you suggesting that if people plan quickly, that's better than if they delay and delay and delay and delay? Well, Robert, in this particular scenario with the discussion around an A-B trust, the, the fact that 20 years may have passed creates some issues with tax planning, so making it much harder for the surviving spouse to now get money out of his or her estate as a result of some tax planning opportunities that have long been... been uh, the, been passed. But in your facts, what I would tell you is the surviving spouse, if he or she has capacity, is going to really need to determine whether or not they can even move forward to make changes or amendments. Is it important at this point in time to stop and to say before making any changes, we need to determine how to go back in time and at least notify the parties who were standing to inherit eventually from the B trust, those people may have an interest in the B trust actually being funded, Robert. So even though it wasn't funded 20 years ago when the first spouse died, um, simply sitting down with the surviving spouse and pretending that all is well and good and because so much time has passed, the survivor can still amend everything, I think that's very short-sighted. So we'd have a conversation with that client, Robert, first of all, about what changes and why there would be changes, and then who those changes would affect. Depending on the answers to those questions, Robert, we may do something called a non-judicial settlement agreement. We may create an agreement whereby the people who were once going to inherit from the B Trust could say, hey, we know the B Trust was never funded. That's okay. We're not going to come back at a later time and complain about it. But we understand the changes now. So we may advise our client, Robert, to give notice to some people before making changes. We might recommend to our client that there be a court, possibly a court modification of the trust. But what we wouldn't do in that scenario, Robert, is just sit down with a client and say, sure, because so much time has passed, we can overlook the original trust terms. That would simply be a big mistake. So wait a minute. Are you telling me that my spouse's children, my stepchildren, that I haven't talked to since the week after my spouse's death 15 years ago, that I've got to find them, call them up, get them to come in here and sign some document and tell them how much I, I'm worth and what I've spent the money on for the last 15 years. Am I going to have to do all that? Robert, it really depends. It really depends on what the terms of the trust say. It, de- it depends on what your plans may be and how we can help you achieve those. So Robert, if you came into me to say, you know, Elizabeth, here's here are the facts. I'm not going to be changing any of the beneficiaries, but I simply need to update the whole trust. Robert, that's probably a very different kind of communication to those beneficiaries who were potentially affected, your stepkids. It's probably a very different kind of communication, Robert, than outreach to them that would say, hey, here's what should have been done that wasn't done. And yeah, you were going to inherit this money, but you're not anymore. So sign a consent. Those are two very different scenarios, Robert. And so it's really a fact-sensitive question. And however we look at the question, we are going to be telling the person who would be our client that she can't just pretend that there was no gift that was intended to go to the stepkids. She can't just pretend that that term in the trust was never was never there. What if I gave you the facts that you really wanted, that this trust is 20 years old, but that the first spouse just died a couple months ago? 
and the surviving spouse comes in and says, hey, I have this 20-year-old trust that says we're supposed to divide into A and B shares. I don't remember why we did that. Our estate, our combined estate today is worth about 800000 or a million dollars. And do I really have to divide this? I, I shouldn't have to pay any estate tax until I'm worth 12 plus million dollars. Do I really have to do all those things? And Robert, I would say to the client, no, actually. If you want to go ahead and start a communication and get some approval from those beneficiaries who may be affected by your decision not to split the trust, we can certainly work out a plan. But again, Robert, we can't just move from A to C without forgetting B. We actually need to sit and talk with the client, even though there might not be any tax planning reason that the B trust should be funded. And maybe there aren't even enough assets to really make a good argument that the trust should be funded with with some portion of money on the B trust. But we need to make sure that the surviving spouse understands the trust document does obligate the survivor to consider these beneficiaries who've been named. And if the surviving spouse intends in that conversation, Robert, to forget those beneficiaries ever existed, forget his or her stepkids or forget the kids or family members or other beneficiaries of the B Trust, we need to talk about how to work through that issue, particularly when it comes to notice, because we can't just pretend that somebody was never um, in the position where he or she should have been notified of an interest. So Robert, in your fact scenario, I'd be talking to the client about how to make sure we had provided the adequate notice to a beneficiary who might have an interest in the B B trust, and then figure out with the help and coordination of our client what the end goal is and and how to get there. So in in that fact scenario, Robert, maybe we decide we're not gonna fund the B trust, but we do have an agreement and an understanding of the surviving spouse's authority going forward. So I, I think, Elizabeth, your message is basically it's complicated and you probably ought to get good legal advice. Is that a good summing up of, uh, of where we are it's on good the whole le- AB trust thing? Yes, Robert, it's good legal advice, but it's also good tax planning advice, right? Because we want to make sure, even in the scenario, the last scenario you just provided, that that surviving spouse who's coming in 90 days, 180 days later, understands what tax planning options there may be that could be of a benefit to him or her down the road. We also need to remember that having somebody like a CPA be a third party that's really over has an overview and an understanding of the implications of a decision like this, that's important for the client to remember because on the client's death, there are going to be tax issues to determine, especially if what happened was the terms of the trust were not followed to a T. What about the last scenario for you, Elizabeth? What about the couple who wrote their trust 15 or 20 years ago, it has provisions that divide the trust into two separate trusts on the first death. They're both still alive, both still competent. Should they be addressing that now? They should be talking about it, Robert. We should be deciding with them whether or not an AB trust structure is really gonna provide them the relief, the planning, the structure they want when the surviving spouse dies. Because ultimately, Robert, if you have both of the spouses, they're still alive, they still have the ability to amend the trust together, maybe they can simplify it and get rid of the AB trust. But before we recommend that, Robert, we need to make sure what they would be giving up if they did make an amendment and and simplified their plan. It's important to have some discussion why an AB trust would have been created in the first place. I I have so many other questions like, 
can a uh, can a couple have a b trusts even if they don't have a joint revocable trust and uh, is this just community property law uh, do can we uh, generalize these things beyond the boundaries of Arizona but those are all going to have to wait for another day i think elizabeth so for now that's it that's our thoughts on a b trusts both uh, ones that have become effective and ones that are future a b trusts um, for people to consider I'm Robert Fleming. You've been listening to me and Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We're two of the partners at Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. This is the podcast called Elder Law Issues, and we hope you will join us for our next Elder Law Issues.